Uh, hey, uh, welcome. So glad you all are here today uh, with us uh, out at our other campuses, Stone Canyon, Vertigris. Uh, they are going live today with their uh, campus guys, so we don't have to greet them today. It's just you and me. Lucky you, right? All right. Hey, uh, last week we launched into a new series called Mixtape, and uh, Chad launched us into that, and, uh, and I'm finishing it today. Uh, it's a short series, all right? And uh, he started us off by just asking a question that so often we kind of have in our own mind, and it's that question of, what's next? And it kind of speaks to the discontent that so many, we, so many times we have in this world where it's like, what's the next thing? What's the next big thing? You know, we get one toy and, man, we want the next toy. And so uh, we, last week we talked about, you know, sometimes we find ourselves chasing after bubbles. And if you're here last week, you know what I'm talking about. You know, if you weren't here, shame on you. But uh, we got to blow bubbles in church. It was awesome. Uh, but uh, anyway, so this week I want to ask that same question, what's next? But from a little different perspective, because uh, it doesn't always speak to a discontent within us. Sometimes it speaks to a drive within us to want to go further in our walk with Christ, in our spiritual journey, this adventure that we're on. And so we find ourselves from time to time, I think, so, kind of asking God, God, what's next? God, what, what do you want to do in my life next? What, God, where do you want to lead me to next? What do you want to do through me next? And, and, and we ought to be having that question in our mind. And, and sometimes I, I think we... Maybe you've heard it called the stirring of God. We experience the stirring of God within us, or maybe we've called it a, a holy discontent. You know, it's that there's something else that God's calling us to that, that we, we want to discover, we, we want to go after in this pursuit of God and this relationship, this adventure that we're on with Him. And, and so we want to just kind of unpack this whole idea of, of stirring. What is God stirring up in you? All right, let's ask that question. And maybe before we even jump into that, we need to ask this question is, what is that? What is, what is, what is it when God stirs us up? How does, he, how does he do that? You know, maybe it's our emotions that God, he created us as emotional beings. And, and so he kind of stirs our emotions up to get us to, to go certain directions and do certain things for him and his kingdom. And, and yeah, I think God could do that. He can work through our emotions. Maybe it's our conscience, conscience conscience within us, that kind of inner dialogue that we have with ourselves, and maybe God speaks into that and, and kind of gives us direction, conviction and, in our lives, and yeah, I think yeah, maybe God can work through that. Or maybe it is His Holy Spirit that is in us as a follower of Jesus when we stepped into that relationship with Him and we're baptized into Him. We have that promise of the Holy Spirit that indwells in us, God in us, and He's speaks to us and, and convicts us and leads us by his own spirit that is in us. And oh yeah, I definitely say that that is part of it. But it's really hard for us to really nail it down how God stirs in us. But we know he does. And probably many of you could get up and you could tell a story about a time whenever you felt God stirring and moving in you and led you to a next step in your, in your walk with him. And probably every one of us could also get up and tell about a time whenever we felt the stirring, the moving of God in our lives, and we, we ignored it. We said, no, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not talking to them. And we didn't obey the call that he's put on us. But I think probably most of us can talk about a time or think about a time whenever God did stir in us. Here's the statement I want us to grab hold of today, okay? And maybe you want to write this one down, but... God stirs in us to steer us towards his purpose and plan. 
God stirs in us to steer us towards his purpose and plan. I think God stirs in us, just like we just said, God stirs in us because he wants us to, to move along in this journey that we're on, to, to grow in our faith, to grow in that relationship with him, to accomplish what he has called us to. So again, what is God stirring up in you? I think there's a number of places in the Bible that we see examples of the stirring of God. I've been reading through the Old Testament, and here a few weeks ago I was reading through Exodus, and I came upon a, a scripture I've read before but that speaks to the stirring of God, and it just kind of resonated with me. I think God was kind of stirring in me whenever I read it, and that's kind of the basis of this message. I thought, you know, it stood out to me, and I kind of ran with it. And, and, but it's over in Exodus chapter 36, verse 2. God's just given the law to uh, his people, and then he gave them uh, instructions on how to build the tabernacle, this, this tent of meeting where, where Moses would meet with God, and God's presence would be uh, among his people, and, and he gives them very specific details. And then you come to chapter 36, and it's actually the, the beginning of the building of this uh, this tabernacle. And, and it says this in verse 2 of Exodus chapter 36. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab. I have no idea if that's how you pronounce those names, but that, that's what you get today. Um, and every craftsman whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Everyone whose heart stirred him up. The people who came to do God's work on the tabernacle were those who were stirred up within them. Now, how, how did that work? I mean, was it like a lottery system and only you know, certain people got it and got to participate that day? Or, or was it just those who God, it says in the text, that God gave certain skills to people? Was it just those people that had those skills so whenever they had the need, that's when God stirred? And they said, oh, I can do that. I'm going to participate. I'm going to be a part of that. And so they went, and so they were the ones that were stirred. Or, or did, did the message go out to everyone of God's people? Did it, did it go to all of them and only those who got stirred up about it? came and participated. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm really not sure how that plays out, but it seems to me that there were those who were positioned in their life to hear from God and recognize the stirring of God in them to participate and go and be a part of this project. And this is the only place that we read about this. You can go over to Ezra uh, chapter 1. And there we find God's people are in captivity. They've been in Babylon for uh, 70 years now, as prophecy said would happen. And, and we come to a place where, where they are about to be sent back to Jerusalem to go rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall of the city. And listen to verse 1 there in Ezra chapter 1. It says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And then he goes on, and Cyrus delivers this decree, this call that I'm sending God's people back to Jerusalem to go rebuild the great city of God. Now, now the first thing that I, I see in this story, number one, is that God can stir up, he can use unbelievers. If you know who Cyrus is, the king of Persia, he is a pagan king. And God stirs up in him 
to use him for his purpose and his plan for his people and his kingdom. God can use unbelievers for his purpose. You know that. And he stirs within them. You know, another incredible thing about this very moment right here, this was prophesied. It says in the text uh, that so that Jeremiah's words might be fulfilled, the prophet Jeremiah, and that's exactly what happened. Some 150 years before Cyrus was around, uh, he speaks these words that this is what's going to happen, and boom, this is what happens. It lays out. Matter of fact, Isaiah prophesies this over in Isaiah 44 and actually calls out or name Cyrus by name, 150 years before. He says, Cyrus is going to do this. King Cyrus. Nobody knew who Cyrus was. They're reading the prophecy going, who? Yeah, he, he wasn't born yet. He wasn't even around. But this prophecy named him. And he's the one that God stirred in and used to send God's people back. Go to verse 5, and it goes on. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. See, when God stirs in people, it seems to me, here's another lesson, when God stirs in us, he is stirring us towards action for a purpose. Exodus is towards the building of the tabernacle. Here it's towards the building, rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. But did everybody who God's Spirit came on and stirred, did everybody answer the call at this time? I don't know. It's estimated that there were probably about a million Israelites in Babylon at this time. Again, they've been in captivity there, about a million of them. If you read the rest of the story and you see how many of them actually went back to Jerusalem, it was a little over 42,000 of them. It's not a, not a big percentage of them. A little over 42,000 of them were stirred up towards this and answered the call and said, hey, I'm going to go back. And, and I would say, you know what, there were probably some of them that were in Babylon that because of their health, they couldn't make the journey. It was a 900-mile journey back to Jerusalem, and so they, they, they couldn't have done that. They wouldn't have survived the journey, and so they would have stayed behind, probably contributed in other ways, as we see in the story that many of them did. But many would say that scholars today would say that most didn't go back because they had become very comfortable in Babylon. They had, had built businesses, and they had become pretty affluent. And, and why would I go back to Jerusalem, to a city that's in ruins, to try to rebuild it, and then also at the same time have enemies that I know are going to want to come against us? Why would I want to do that? And so for whatever reason, they didn't feel the stirring of God and they didn't go but some 42,000 did and they went back to rebuild have you ever experienced the stirring of God well I think uh, there are other places in the Bible again we go to Exodus go to Ezra there's other places in the Old Testament that talk about the stirring of God but I think when we come to the New Testament there's a story in there that speaks to the same thing and, and it's the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus Maybe you remember this story. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. And so if you want to get there, uh, that's where we will be at. And, and here's what's happening. These are two guys who have been following Jesus. We know one of their names. We find out in the story his name's Cleopas. And then he's got his buddy. So we have Cleopas and his buddy are on the road. They have, they have just, in this time, they've, on Friday they saw Jesus crucified and killed. And now it's Sunday and there's, 
there's stories that his body's not there anymore. So that's, that's the time frame we're in. This is Sunday, and they're on the road. And while they're journeying back to the city of Emmaus, we're going to find out it's a seven-mile journey, somebody comes and joins them. Another man joins them on the road. You know who that is? Jesus. Jesus comes along, joins them for the journey, and has a conversation with them, but we find out that they don't know that it's Jesus. They don't under, they, their eyes are not open to that. But you come to the end of the story, and there's, here's the verse that I want us to, to key on. Then, we're, then we'll back up and go through the whole text. But if you come to the end of the story, after they, their eyes are open and they recognize Jesus, they're sitting at dinner, they recognize Jesus, here's what they say. Jesus disappears, they know that was him, they said to each other, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Didn't, didn't our hearts burn? Man, I just thought that was last night's pizza, but man, no, that was God. God was burning. God was stirring. God was moving. Why did we miss that? See, at the beginning of the story, the seven-mile journey, I mean, they're with him for seven miles, having a discussion, talking with him, hearing from him, and they missed it. Why did they miss the stirring of God in this moment? Well, I want us to unpack this story. Maybe we can answer that question. Why do we sometimes miss that stirring of God? But I also want to ask another question. What, what, what can we do to position ourselves in such a way that we do recognize the stirring of God. Because here's what we know. We can't, we can't make God stir in us. Okay? We, can't, we can't do that. I mean, we can stir up our emotions. We can you know, get into the music, get into the, you know, all that stuff. We can stir it up in ourselves and our emotions. But can we really make God stir in us? No. But I believe we can position ourselves to, to receive. So let's, let's back up in the story. Let's... Let's see what we can learn here. Go to verse 13, back to the very beginning of the story. And here's where it starts. That very day, okay, that very day, let's stop right there, okay? That very day, what day is that? It's Sunday. It's, it's Easter Sunday. I mean, they, the, the ladies have already been down to the tomb and come back and reported. Peter and John then went back down to the tomb and realized that what the lady said was true. The body's not there, okay? And then after that, for whatever reason, Cleopas and his buddy, they were there. They were there to hear this news. But for whatever reason, they said, hm, we're out of here. We don't believe it. We want your dead, you're dead. And they left that very day. The two of them, these two followers, previous followers of Jesus, I guess you could say at this point, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, uh, literally that word also means debating, I think maybe they were having somewhat of a heated conversation. Maybe one kind of a believe and the other one didn't. They're going back and forth, but surely, it you know, they're going back and forth. But while they're discussing this together, Jesus himself I think it's interesting that, Jesus, that, that Luke says it this way. Jesus himself, it's not an impersonator, it's not his doppelganger, it's not, you know, just somebody that, you know, Jesus sent in his place. No, Jesus himself shows up. Jesus is there. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You know what question I believe is on their mind as they're walking down this road after everything they've experienced and everything that they've seen happen to Jesus? You know what question I believe is on their mind? What's next? 
God, what are you going to do now? I mean, we had, we had it all figured out, but <laughs> things went crazy. I don't get it. What's, what's next? And Jesus steps in to the story, I believe, to stir in them and to show them what's next for them. What's God going to do now? Let's keep going in the story. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. I mean, they, they, they stop in their tracks when Jesus asked this question. They stopped, they stood still. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you, are you the only, only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, do you hear this? Uh, I, he, wait a second. You, you don't know? What, what hole have you been in? You don't know what's been going on in Jerusalem? Really? I, I can imagine the shock on or their facial expression. I mean, they are stopped dead. May, their face, you've seen some of these pictures. Maybe their face looked a little bit like uh, this little guy. You know, it's kind of like, What? You've seen that. Or maybe it's this one. I, I like this little girl. <laughs> huh? Really? You don't know? My favorite one's this last one. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, what? You, you don't know? Really? And I think it's so interesting that, uh, funny, really, maybe ironic is a better word, that they're asking this question of Jesus. You don't know what's happened? And it happened to Jesus. I mean, he was the one that it all happened to. And, and, and they're asking him, how did you miss it? And the reality is, they were the ones that were missing it. They were the ones that were missing what God was doing and how God was working in all these circumstances. What keeps us what keeps us from recognizing the stirring and the working of God in our lives? Maybe there's some things we can pull out of their story. I think maybe one of the reasons they didn't recognize it was because of their own uh, misguided, maybe even selfish hope that they had placed in Jesus, what they were expecting him to be. That they, like some of the disciples, others who, who knew Jesus and saw the things that he had done, they had this idea that he was going to be this Messiah that was going to rise to power and he was going to rule the Israelite nation, God's people, and they were going to conquer Rome and they would be the political power and the military power over all the world. And, and, and on top of that, if they're close enough to Jesus, they might just be close enough to Jesus that they themselves might gain a position of power within his kingdom. And so they're planning, they're hoping, they've got dreams of what's going to happen when, now that the Messiah is here. And because they had this misguided, selfish hope, they did not see nor understand at all what's happening in front of them when they see Jesus go to the cross. Maybe they were blinded by the very circumstances themselves that were so confusing. I mean, he's supposed to be the great king, the great Messiah to bring salvation to, to God's people, but, but now they've killed him. And they didn't just kill him. They crucified him. They humiliated him. And beyond that, that humiliates us, his followers. We've been with him. I can't believe they've done this to our leader. 
and they're so confused in the midst of all this. Maybe they were blinded by the emotion of it. I mean, can you imagine what's going through their minds, not just the humiliation, but, but they, have, they have walked with Jesus throughout His ministry, and, and, and they've been there in the glory days of His ministry when He was performing miracles, whenever He was performing signs that, to, to validate who He was as the Messiah. They'd seen it. They'd heard His teachings that were like none other, no, no other teachings that they'd ever heard with such authority. They had seen it. They'd been there in the glory days, And now all of that's gone. And they're stepping into a very, very uncertain future. They don't know what's next. And the emotional hurt and confusion is overwhelming. And so their eyes are just closed. Their hearts are just shut off to what God might be doing. Because God... This wasn't part of the plan. You ever had those feelings? Were you ever part of the church and somebody hurt you or something happened in the church and you said, ah, don't want any of that. A bunch of hypocrites down there. You turned your back and walked away. Or maybe, maybe it's something happened in your life Something tragic happened to you or to somebody you love, and you said, you know what? <laughs> if that's the way God is, this loving God, if He's going to let that happen, then I don't want none of Him, and I'm going to walk away. Maybe you grew up in the church, mom and dad made you go to church, and, and they had you here every week, but what you saw in mom and dad from Monday to Saturday did not match what you saw on Sunday morning when mom and dad put on the smile, and, put a, and you said, you know what, if this religion stuff doesn't make a difference in my mom and dad's life, it ain't going to make a difference in my life, and I don't need any of this. You turned 18, you were out of here. Maybe you got your own story of hurt and, and walking away from religion and Jesus and church. If that's you, number one, let me say, I'm glad you're here today. I hope you're giving Jesus another chance. If that's you, maybe you can, you can connect with these guys, with what they're feeling, as they have lost all hope. And they've missed the stirring of God and what He is trying to do, what He is doing in this moment. So how do we, how do we make sure we don't miss it? How do we make sure we don't miss the stirring of God whenever He's moving and working in our lives? Well, I think as we look at the rest of the story, maybe we can figure this out. And I believe it starts with seeking the truth of Jesus. We've got to seek the truth of Jesus. That's what these two were doing. They were, they were trying. I'll give them credit for that. They were trying to figure out who Jesus was. They, were try, they thought He was the one. Go on in the text. Look at verse 19. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, what things? Remember, they just said, hey, how did you miss out what happened in Jerusalem? And now he asked this question, what things are you talking about? What happened in Jerusalem? Which, again, I think is so humorous. (laughs) He knows, all right, it happened to him. But what things? Tell me about him. And he just listens. I think that just speaks to the heart of Jesus here, almost like a counselor. (laughs) Tell me about it. How does that make you feel? Anyway, uh, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. I notice he doesn't just stop it. They killed him. And they, they crucified him. How humiliating is that? So you can see that they... They saw Jesus as a prophet. They put him on the level of Moses. They were trying to figure this out. They thought they were figuring out this truth. They were trying to figure out this truth. Now, if you go on in the text, we'll skip a little bit here. They go on and they describe a little bit what happened that day with the, the empty tomb. But Jesus, after he hears from them, he takes them back to truth. Let's pick it up in verse 25. After they share all that they had to share, he said, it says in verse 25, And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. I don't think he's been really harsh right here. I, I think it's kind of like he's talking to a kid. Oh, foolish ones. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> oh, foolish ones. Oh, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What is not, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. After, after they communicate their doubt, their loss of hope, Jesus takes them to the truth and he says, hey, let's go back to scripture. Let's go back to the prophecies. And, and he begins to unpack all the prophecies, going back all the way to Moses and, and the story of Moses and all that he did with the people. And he was a foreshadowing of, of the Christ. And then goes to probably over in Isaiah and talks about the coming of the Messiah, this one who will be despised and rejected. Like a, he'll be like a sheep that is led to slaughter. And I think as he's going through these prophecies, he's probably looking at these two guys and going, does it sound familiar? Does that remind you of anybody? <laughs> Hoping that they will make the connection that everything that happened to Jesus lines exactly up to the prophecies that were said about him. And he walks them through all the prophecies and all the truth about this Messiah that was to come. Jesus takes them to the truth. You know what he doesn't say in the midst of their doubt? He doesn't say, well, you just got to believe. You just got to believe. <laughs> or or he, doesn't say, he doesn't say, I know it doesn't make sense right now. That's why they call it blind faith. Just jump out there and hope that God will catch you. He doesn't say that. It's not about blind faith. He says, Let's go look at the facts. Let's go look at the truth. And then tell me what you think about Jesus. He says, Here, here's the facts. Here's the prophecies. Here's the prophecies that were given hundreds of years before, before Jesus, this Messiah, showed up. And, and everything he did lines up with all of them. He, he's the one. Don't despair. Keep seeking the truth. I hear him saying to them. If we're going if, if to be in a position to be able to recognize the, the, the stirring of God, the movement of God, we've got to stay in his word, in his truth. We've got to study his word. You know, I know you hear us say that from the stage a lot, and we challenge you to get in the word, but let me tell you, if you want to know where God's leading you in your life, follow his word. It gives us direction. 
for today. It's not an archaic book that was good a long time ago, but today it really doesn't matter because we live in a whole different culture. No, 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 no. It is relevant for today. And we need to study His truth. We need to know His truth so that we can recognize the stirring and the moving and the leading of God in our lives. And it's when we have been impacted by the truth of God and His Word that then we are open up to recognize the hope that we have in Jesus. And that's the next thing. That if we're going to be open up to His stirring and leading in us, our hope has to be in Jesus. He has to be the one in which we place all of our hope and all of our trust for this life and the next. These men, these two, Cleopas and his buddy, they've lost hope. They are in despair. And Jesus begins to take them on this journey to help them regain hope. Look at verse 21. Let's back up in the story and see what else they had to say to Jesus. Verse 21, but we had hoped, do you hear that? Past tense. We had hoped, don't hope anymore, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. I I don't know if you want to believe that or not, but they said that he was alive. Go to verse 24. Some of those who were with us, Peter and John, we know that, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, they did not see. And in Cleopas and his buddy's mind, their thought is, they didn't see him because he's still dead, because when you're dead, you're dead. And maybe it is, in their thinking, and when word gets out that his body isn't there, you know who they're going to go after? his followers, and we'll be the next ones on the cross, so we're getting out of town. <laughs> Maybe that's why they're leaving. But they couldn't wrap their heads around the idea of a resurrection, and their hope was lost. We can't believe it. We can't believe this is happening. And so Jesus meets them here on this road to restore that hope and to help them to wrap their heads around this truth of resurrection because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything Billy Graham told the story once whenever he met with the Chancellor of Germany his name was Conrad Adenauer and he didn't know how this meeting would go he didn't know what the faith of Adenauer was and he thought it would be a very uncomfortable conversation about religion and when he walks into the room with Adenauer just the two of them he says Adenauer turns faces him and immediately asks the question Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? To that, Billy Graham said that if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then I have no gospel to preach. Adenauer then replied somewhat to Graham's surprise. He said, if Jesus Christ is alive, then there is hope for this world. If Jesus Christ is in the grave, then I don't see the slightest glimmer of hope on the horizon. And then Adenauer went on to share with Graham, again to his surprise, saying, whenever I step down from my position as chancellor and I retire, I am spending the rest of my life scientifically proving the resurrection of Jesus because I want everybody in the world to know the hope of Jesus. It happened. 
the resurrection of Christ is an event, the event in history, the pinnacle event of history that changes everything. And Jesus is trying to get them to wrap their minds around it, and we've got to wrap our minds around it too. And you might be saying, but Matt, Easter was two weeks ago. So what? We need to talk about it every time we get a chance. We need to teach it. We need to remind people it's real. It happened. And if Jesus rose from the dead, that changes everything. Jesus is confronting these two men in their, in their despair, in their lack of hope. Saying, where are you putting your hope now? That hope needs to be in Jesus. Where's your hope? Is your hope in, in Jesus? Or is your hope in a church? Is your hope in a government? Is your hope in a person, a leader, yourself, your money, your possessions? Where's your hope? What, what is it that you run to in this life to bring you hope, to bring you Security in this life, if it's not in Jesus, you will miss out on the stirring of God in your life. How did that hope then come back alive in these two guys? They, they're hopeless now, but how did it come back alive? How did, they, how did they come to find it again? I believe it happened when they stepped back into fellowship with Jesus. That's what we see at the end of the story. If we're gonna, if, again, if we're going to open ourselves up to the stirring of God, it's going to be because we, another reason is because we're walking in fellowship with Jesus. After, after they've express, expressed their hopelessness, Jesus unpacks the truth for them. They, in this journey, they come to Emmaus, and Jesus agrees to have dinner with them like he, he was going to miss this moment. <laughs> but they, he agrees to have dinner with them. They sit down at the table, and here's what happens, verse 30 and following. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their eyes were opened Jesus when they stepped into fellowship with him again. You see, to sit at a table at a meal with somebody is, a, is an expression of acceptance today, especially in that day. It said, I accept you. And so when they sit down with Jesus, he breaks bread. A beautiful picture of communion here. Their eyes are open. Jesus is alive. And their hope is restored. Oh, that's why I was feeling the burn. That's why it was stirring. That's why, because he is alive. The women were right. The guys were right. It's, he is alive. And they step back into fellowship with him. How do, we, how do we step into fellowship with Jesus? Maybe it's that initial step when we repent of sin and, and make that faith statement, confession to Christ, being baptized into Him, joining Him in that union of, of baptism into His death, burial, and resurrection. Maybe it's that first step, but it's an ongoing process, isn't it, as, as followers of Christ. It's not just that one-time event, but we continue on this journey, this adventure of walking with Christ in His Word, praying to Him, meeting with His people, fellow believers that we can be in fellowship with. All those things are elements of this relationship we are in with Him. Communion, of course, as we gather each week to celebrate what Christ did for us. We commune with Him. 
And we walk with him, fellowship. And when we walk with him, the closer we walk with Jesus, the more open we are to his working, his stirring, his leading in our lives. Are you walking close to Jesus? Let me ask this question again. What is God stirring up in you? That may be an uncomfortable question for some. I don't know. I hope he's not stirring up anything because that's really kind of scary. Yeah, it can be. For others, it's exciting. Oh, God, what do you want to do next? Where do you want to go now? And again, I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm, I'm not trying to get you all stirred up and get your emotions going. Ah, you know, I'm not, that's not, man, what, I, I'd be telling you a really sappy story right now and trying to get you all crying if I, that's all I was going for. I'm not. I want you to know the truth of who Jesus is, what he has accomplished on the cross and then through the empty tomb. And what does that stir up in you, that confidence, that hope to know that <laughs> he is alive, he is real, and God, what do you want to do in me now? Are you seeking the truth of Jesus? Are you in his word? You know, Paul tells Timothy, he says there's going to be a day at the end times whenever there's going to be people that they don't want to hear the truth. They're going to surround themselves with teacher, teachers that will speak, that will preach to uh, what your itching ears want to hear. We'll say whatever they want, and we, you, you'll go back to myths and wise tales. You know what? That's not the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church that stands on truth. Are you a person who's seeking the truth of Jesus? Are you a person who finds your hope solely and squarely on Jesus, in Jesus, in that relationship with you, you that you have in Him? Is that where your hope is? Or is your hope in your possessions, all the things that you've acquired in this life, that, oh, uh, they're going to lead me to happiness. Man, as soon as I retire, life's going to be awesome. Hmm, good luck on that. Where's your hope? Or are you walking in fellowship with Him, spending daily time with Him? God stirs in us to steer us towards his purpose and plan. And again, what is God stirring up in you? You know, I believe God stirs in us as individuals, but I believe as we saw in the Old Testament, I believe he stirs in us as a people. And I believe what we're seeing right now is that we see God stirring in this church that there's something happening. I've been praying for two years, this prayer. God, do great things through your church. And I keep praying that prayer. God, do great things in your church. And you know what I believe? We're right there. <laughs> and great things are starting to happen. And lives are being changed. And next week, Chad's going to come and he's going to preach and he's going to share a vision, a new vision of where we're heading as a church. And here's why I'm preaching this message. I don't want anybody to miss the stirring of God, what God's doing in this place, not in your lives and not in his church. And so let me tell you, church, you better be here next week. That's my, that's my stink eye, all right? Be here next week because I believe God is stirring in this place, and I don't want you to miss it. So here's, here's what I'm asking you to do this week. Seek his truth. Get in his word. Spend time in his word this week. Find your hope in Jesus. Be reminded of the hope that we have in him and the resurrection of Jesus. Stand firm in that every day. Give God thanks for the resurrection and the truth that we have, the hope that we have in that. And walk in fellowship with him. Walk in fellowship with him so that when you arrive next week, when we all arrive next week, we all come positioned and ready to see and experience the stirring of God. What's God stirring up in you? I want you to just ask that question of God, all right? 
God, what are you stirring up in me? Count of three, I just want you to ask that question out loud. I know, it's going to be crazy. God, what are you stirring up in me? One, two, three. God, what are you stirring up in me? Ask it. Seek it. See what God wants to do. Father in heaven, we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives. We look forward to see what you're going to do in this church. God, it's exciting and it's scary when we follow you and we walk in your ways and we follow your lead. So God, help us. Help us, God, to seek after you, to recognize your call and all that you want to do in us. Lead us, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.